Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Well, welcome back to another episode of Deal Us In. You have Ariel Barker hosting today, and I'm excited to be joined by Megan O'Grady from Palladium Equity. Megan and I have been crossing paths over the last few years, and I'm lucky enough to finally have her join us on this podcast to talk about her experiences in private equity, as well as her passion for supporting women in the industry. So Megan, welcome to Deal Us In. Thanks. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I think the best place to start is if you want to just kind of give our listeners a quick overview of kind of how you got into the industry and where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. My path to private equity and then business development within private equity is definitely non-traditional. So I actually started my career on the quant side and more specifically focused on credit. I was with Goldman Sachs for a number of years where I led the illiquid credit valuation for the high yield investment grade and index flow trading desks there. So when you think illiquid credit, especially when when I was with the firm, you know, Lehman Trade Claims is a good example of, of what that means. And I worked innumerable amount of hours around how Goldman was going to approach our holdings of Lehman Trade Claims at the time. And then from there, I realized that I would not be happy in my career sitting behind a computer screen 24-7, taking away at models. And so there are a lot of different paths that you can go down, obviously, to be a little bit more outward facing within your firm. And at the time, I wasn't ready to choose that path. I wanted to be in more of an exploratory phase. And so I went back to business school, got my MBA at Duke, best decision I ever made, best two years of my life to date. And it also gave me an opportunity, what I deemed at the time a riskless opportunity, to try out new career paths. And that happened to be in the private equity space. And so just through my network, I was able to get a spring associate internship with a private equity firm called Long Point Capital in the city, in New York City. In that capacity, I actually came on as an investment deal team intern and really enjoyed every aspect of the job, not just the people that I worked with at Long Point, but also diving into and meeting with family founder-owned businesses. You know, it's such a special opportunity to, and a really cool one, to speak with multiple different types of business owners or really business owners in multiple different types of industries and to talk about their business and talk about ways that we could help them grow their business and take some chips off the table and continue to participate in the upside as well. And so I really enjoyed my time there, went through business school, did an internship in between year one and year two at BAML and their Love Fin group, and then decided that that was a lot of the same thing that I was doing before business school. And that I really kind of got jazzed by the private equity scene more so than leverage finance or anything that was 
a little bit more credit focused. And so I went back full time post business school to work for Long Point, and I actually pitched my role to the partners there. I said, "This is the role that I'm thinking about. This is why it would be additive to your practice, and this is why you should hire me for this role." And it was essentially a head of originations role because of my quant background. I was able to do everything from sourcing through to deal execution and post close strategic M and A development for our platform companies. And so, you know, I kind of came on in a, in a really hybrid position and was able to be a switch hitter, if you will, for, for Long Point, which was incredibly important, especially working for such a small business or firm where everybody need to, needed to be able to wear multiple different hats. And so from there, I went to go work for KPS Capital, which is another middle market private equity firm but significantly larger. So I came on board to essentially build their business development function for the mid-cap fund from the ground up, which is what I had done previously for, for Long Point as well. So that was round two of building a BD function from the ground up. Although KPS has been in business for you know two decades now, they had just launched a new strategy into the middle market, kind of a back to the future type of type of opportunity and decided to keep that fund very distinct from the flagship fund. Most recently, I've moved over to join a great team at Palladium, which is another middle market private equity firm, also based in New York City. We have $3 billion of assets under management right now. We're investing out of our fifth fund. It's a $1.6 billion fund. And again, I've joined with a newly created position to lead their business development efforts. So I guess you could say I, I like building origination franchises. And you know, I've been here at Palladium a couple months now and hit the ground running. As, as we all know, the market is just gangbusters right now and doesn't show any signs of slowing down. And it's, it's been a great couple months. I think what really stood out to me the most was when you were talking about when you first started working in private equity and what got you jazzed and out of bed in the morning was working with those founder-owned businesses. Because I hear that so often with my own BD team. What do you love most about your job? What are the pain points of your job? And I consistently hear what gets them out of bed every morning and what they love about their role is getting to have these really interesting conversations with founders and business owners. I think that's definitely an interesting aspect to BD because you are getting to have such a high volume of interesting conversations in that role. And that's your whole job is to go have those conversations and connect the right people with the right parties. Like you were saying, the market is gangbusters. Everybody's time is extremely valuable right now. But when we connected a couple of weeks ago, it really sounds like you're still making time for some of your passion projects, including being on the ACG Women of Leadership Board. I believe you're actually chairing it now, which is yeah. exciting. What I would love for you to touch on is just how you allocate your time to what I would consider these passion projects of supporting women in the industry, and then how you decided which industry organizations you wanted to get involved with, just because obviously you, you can't spend time with every single one of them. No, you can't spend time with every single one of them. And I think that how you choose to allocate your time really morphs as your career progresses. So when I first started out in, in the BD world, you know, I was throwing a lot of spaghetti against the wall and seeing what stuck. 
meaning that I was attending multiple different types of networking events through multiple different types of organizations and trying all in the quest to find the ones that really felt right to me, but also the ones that were the most beneficial to my career. And so, you know, starting out building a professional network, I think that you really do need to kind of do that spaghetti against the wall type of process because everybody's unique and what feels right to me might not feel right to you. But it was through that process that I was able to find my spots. So obviously, the Women of Leadership Committee and ACG New York are very near and dear to my heart. I've created a phenomenal network using utilizing both of those pieces of the puzzle. Women of Leadership in particular was really stood out to me because it's so hard to find like-minded, I would say, individuals or women in M&A, period. And so, you know, especially working at, you know, smaller firms, it was so great to have this network of driven, intelligent, hardworking women who understood my business and the world that we live in to not just network with, to not just get deal flow from, but to also build friendships with and to be sounding boards. And so, you know, like I said, you've got to do what feels right for you. But it was just a natural gravitation towards women of leadership for me. And I think that's such an important thing to note, just because I think that's something that so many women in this industry face. And it's part of why we want to start this podcast is a lot of us look around and especially within our own firms, because a lot of the firms in the middle market are smaller. There's no us that we see reflected in our own firm. I know for me, you know, there's not another female doing BD at Seven Mile. When I look at other middle market investment banks, I am rarely seeing other women sitting in the same position as myself. So being able to find those like-minded individuals so that you don't feel like you're on an island by yourself, I think just gives women, you know, that support that they need to continue in this industry and not get burned out. And so you do have to throw stuff against the wall. And I always really tell my new team members as well, go to everything, try everything, and you'll figure out what works for you. And so I think that kind of goes into my next question is, as you're going to these networking events and you're figuring out which organizations and which events are right for you and your professional journey, there's definitely you know learned skills to building a network. I, I don't think anyone's just born innately knowing how to network. And if you think that, don't. <laughs> I think a lot of people are scared to network because they feel, oh, I just that's not me. But it's really a learned skill. So I would love if you have any kind of tangible tips and tricks for how to network and how to attend these events that make it really worthwhile. You know, it's interesting because I don't know if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs test, but I did. I have. I'm technically an introvert. So I'm an INTJ. Anybody who knows me would never say, oh yeah, Megan O'Grady, she's an introvert. But essentially what that means is I'm kind of on, on the spectrum. So I'm an extroverted introvert, meaning that I really need time to myself. I do not gain energy from the people who are around me. It, it can definitely be a little bit draining. So I guess the first tip is to realize that you are not alone. You know, To be successful in BD, you do not have to be this unicorn extrovert. That's not you know, a, a predetermination of success in our role. And so the way that I started 
you know, going to these networking events was really just to set goals for myself. Say, okay, I'm going to XYZ networking event tonight. I'm going to force myself to stay for an hour and I'm going to meet five new people. And as you continuously do this, you know, at recognizing that I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I mean, the first networking event that I ever went to, I literally knew no one in the room, not one person. You know, you just need to, you will eventually find your pockets and your people. But in the beginning, you just need to do it. That's the best advice. Just do it that I could give anybody and set goals. It gets easier. Realize that, you know, you just have to take that first step. And as you continue to take step two, step three, it gets significantly easier because you make friends. And then your friends help you build your network through their network. And so it becomes much more fluid and natural as you make your way in the world. Agreed. I think that's such an important point that it does get easier. So if we have young women that are listening and have just gone to their first networking event or trying to gear up for one, I know it's been a crazy 18 months where most people probably haven't been to networking events. It's daunting in the first couple you go to you're probably going to feel like a failure, but it does. It does get easier. The more you go to, the more you start to meet people and you build that network and you build that confidence. You do feel like you're starting to leave the room with more. So I definitely like that. And I think the other point of just like get out there and do it is I've made this note on probably more than one of these podcasts, but I feel like it's important is just stick out your hand. That's always my advice to people in the industry is you can't go wrong by introducing yourself to people. And sometimes that's the easiest step. If you don't know anybody in the room, just stick out your hand and introduce yourself. And that will at least help you get started somewhere. And give yourself a plan. You know, So another thing that I would do, not only would I set goals of time that I was going to stay, the number of people that I was going to talk to, but one thing that also brought some anxiety to me is like, what am I going to talk about? And so I would jot down some notes around conversation topics, you know? So when you have a plan and you've really been process driven about this, it sounds so funny because you think that networking should just be, you know, natural and conversational and easy and fluid, but in the beginning it's not. And so it really helps to jot down a few things that you can talk about. And it also makes your conversations more useful for building your practice. Yeah. Any prep that you can do that's going to give you more confidence is always a great thing. So I'll go back to your point that you were making about how at some of those networking events, you walked in and you felt like you were the only woman in the room. I feel like that has started to shift over the past year. I know personally, I'm starting to see a lot more women in BD roles. And part of that conversation that I keep hearing kind of within women in our industry is that the percentages of women sitting in business development roles and marketing roles is increasing, but the percentage of women actively on investment teams or deal teams is not increasing at as quick of a pace. Personally, I think women have a lot to offer in those business development positions because of how we build relationships and how we have certain interpersonal communication skills. I would love to start just by talking about your thoughts on how women have certain skills that make them a bit more exceptional in some of these roles. And then also, because as you said, you are kind of a pitch hitter, what your thoughts are on trying to see more women um, on the investment side of things. I'm going to answer your question, but, but kind of put a twist to it. 
because I think that there's there's an overall evolution in what a business development professional looks like and the necessity of BD professionals in the world that we live in where there's just an excess of dry powder. From my perspective, the BD position within private equity in particular has really evolved over the years, becoming more and more crucial to a firm's success. Many BD professionals now have a background on the deal side or like me in, in something quantitative. I think the old timey BD was essentially just what I call a deal collector. And there's so much more to success in this role now. I mean, think about talking to a business owner. You will never know as much as that business owner knows about their business, but you need to be learned enough to be dangerous and to be able to hold their attention and sound educated and knowledgeable on that subject to gain their trust as an advisor and to also build that relationship. And so being well-rounded is super important and inures to many more benefits than just sourcing. As an example, I'm deeply involved in the M&A strategy and execution for a number of our platform investments. And so in that capacity, again, my quant background is invaluable when it comes to not just evaluating platforms, but also new add-on opportunities and you know, being able to think through you know, synergistic initiatives and is this going to be a, a good fit? And you know, from a strategic standpoint, how will it build out our business? And directly contribute to ROI. That's one way in which I think business development is is so much more than than just the deal at this point. And then thinking through investment committees and and deal teams. So there should immediately be a symbiotic and fluid relationship between deal teams and business development professionals. As we're the ones that you know hold the relationships with a lot of intermediaries. And it's really beneficial to have that back-channel access during a process. Although you might not be, you know, I'm not officially part of Team Sigma. You know, I'm not part of one deal team or another deal team. I kind of, I sit on top of all deal teams and, you know, assist in, in multiple different ways through our processes. But then beyond that, from an investment committee standpoint, I don't think statistically, Having a diverse makeup on ICs, on deal teams, on boards, company boards, and your executive leadership, this has proven to in your degree of success. Diversity thought is core to a business's success. And without it, it's much easier to fall into a group think scenario. So, you know, again, the way that just business, even corporate America, MA America has evolved. We have proven out the hypothesis that to be a greater success, you really need to incorporate diversity. And diversity includes gender diversity, ethnic diversity, even social diversity. So it's so much more encompassing than just what you might look like on the outside. It's it's your background. It's the background in, that your career might have brought up. It's the background in your education. It's that overarching diversity of thought that I think really leads to a higher rate of success. Yep. And I think that's one of those areas within the industry that while we have made strides, there's still so much room for opportunity to improve that diversity. And I think that's why you continue to see the evolution of the 
human capital roles and the CHRO roles, either within portfolio companies individually or sitting in private equity firms or investment banks, just trying to drive more of that diversity. Obviously, as we talk about how far women have come, that's something that you've been able to witness firsthand throughout your career. What are some of the challenges that you still see facing women in the industry? Breaking in is still hard. It's human nature to gravitate towards those that are similar to us. The only way around this is to not get discouraged. You know, continue pounding the pavement until a door opens because with enough grit and persistence, one eventually will. Furthermore, don't look at your career as a sprint. It's a marathon. Or better yet, I kind of think of my career as a layer cake. Your next role does not need to be your last and most likely won't, but it should be strategic. So think through what your stretch goal is or what your dream position would be and strategically think through what you need to layer on your resume to position yourself for it. Beyond that, once in, moving up is a careful balance of performance, managing internal politics, and self-advocacy. I think the third piece of the puzzle is, is really important to underpin, especially for women, because it seems to be more difficult for women to advocate for themselves. It seems to be more difficult for women to be their own personal booster and say, look at all these great things that I've done or my team has done under my leadership. And again, that's something that is uncomfortable or just comes less natural. But we need to constantly think about, okay, what have I done this week? Who do I need to post about it? And just do it until it becomes a a reflex reaction to constantly talk about your successes. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, young women, especially that are coming into the industry, no matter what role is learning very quickly how to manage up. So how to have those conversations with senior management about yourself and not being nervous or feeling uncomfortable to have that. I I agree. I think women a lot of times are very nervous to talk about their success and they're very nervous to ask for what they want. And you know, you have to be sure that you're always your own best advocate because your career at the end of the day is going to be what you make it. And I know this phrase gets thrown around a lot, but you never get what you don't ask for. And I think that just goes towards, like you said, being your own advocate. And if you're not asking for those new opportunities and you're not talking about your successes or your team's successes, then you're not giving yourself the best chance possible to make those career moves that like you said, are going to get you to where you want to go eventually. And I know I'll, I'll throw out a also overused Sheryl Sandberg quote, but being willing to go across the jungle gym as you look at where you want to go in your career, I do think that's really important is being willing to sometimes make a horizontal move that's going to get you to where you want to go eventually. Kind of to your point of, do you need to go to go horizontal to layer on something that's going to be able to move you into a position that you would like to be in five, 10 years down the road? So I do want to leave time. I want to shift over just a little bit and talk about your new role and hear about some of the investment themes that are exciting to you guys in Palladium these days. Sure. So like I mentioned in the beginning, we're 
a we have three billion AUM and we're investing out of fund five, which is a one point six billion dollar fund. And so at Palladium, we again have a core focus on investing in family founder owned businesses, you know, keeping with that trend of being a trusted advisor and helping to carry or ferry these businesses to their next stage of growth. And so that's always a core focus of ours, has been for the past two and a half decades. And beyond that, there are a number of themes or, I guess, areas that we're particularly interested in right now that can be seen through our latest investment in HCA, Health Connect America. It's an in-home behavioral health services provider. We're really excited about HCA for a number of reasons. Not only does it do good while doing well, but it also is another kind of arrow in our quiver to expand our healthcare practice. So that's one. And then another area of the market that we really like right now is around business services. Business services more broadly, if it's a tech-enabled business service, then that's even better. We will soon announce a, a new investment in that space as well which again, just is another arrow in our business services quiver to continue to build out that practice. Perfect. And I realized I got a little bit ahead of myself there. Kind of, I'll, I'll scoot back a little bit to our prior conversation about career development. And obviously a part of that career development is moving firms. So yeah. you talked through the three different firms that you've worked at since you've been in private equity. That is definitely a, a piece of career development. You know, I think over the past year, I've seen quite a few individuals in business development roles across private equity move to different firms. How do you suggest people handle navigating that? Because at the end of the day, it's a small industry. You are always going to be crossing paths with past colleagues and past businesses. What are your suggestions on how best to navigate that? Delicately. <laughs> Although our industry is large, it is also oddly small. And so you know, the, the best advice that I can give you is just to don't, don't burn bridges. Be very grateful and gracious for the tutelage that you've been given at one firm. Also be very transparent. Don't be sneaky. That's another piece of advice that I'd like to give. And be upfront with everybody. And beyond that, Try to maintain those relationships that were important to you from one, one firm to the next because you know you never know when you might need a reference or when a new opportunity might come through. You know, there as an example, we all know how new funds are created every single day. New private equity funds are, are raised every single day. And oftentimes those funds are raised with two partners that used to work together at XYZ fund, maybe have, you know, one has moved to a new fund, but they remained in contact and now are, are building a business together. So, you know, the best advice that I can give is maintain relationships, don't build bridges, transparency is key, and, you know, always remain grateful. Yeah, I think <laughs> your point about maintaining relationships, I think is so important because I look at, you know, our relationship. When you moved to your past firm, we did not have a lot of overlap in terms of deal flow. But now that you've moved to Palladium, we're back having quite a bit of overlap in deal flow. And I feel like yeah. 
even though, you know, there was six months to a year there where it didn't make a ton of sense for us to be in contact from a deal perspective, we still caught up every few months. And now we're both very glad that we did because the relationship that we had built at your first firm has carried on. I think that's something I always try to remind people as you're going to these events and the speed dating events or networking events, meet with people that aren't always 100% aligned with you because you never know where people's paths are going to end up. And so sometimes just 20, 30 minutes of your time spent with someone that may not be able to offer you anything right now could really pay out in the end. So don't be short-sighted is probably the other thing I would add to that list of advice. Yeah, I completely agree. I always say you never know when where your next deal is going to come from or you know what might come of this relationship. I try to, obviously, I can't say yes to everyone and everything, but you know, I've really tried to keep my outreach diverse. And as much as time allows, I don't like to turn down conversations. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so as we wrap up here, we do like to end our podcast with the same question, and I'll extend it to you, is what advice you would give to your 22, 23-year-old self that was just out of school, if you could go back? I guess I would tell my directly out-of-school self to not get discouraged and to remember to, to work hard. You know, although I don't believe in working 48-hour shifts straight through, I do think that there is a lot to be said for earning your stripes. And in the, you know, with a new job, if you're switching careers, whatever it might be, you will have to work very, very, very hard. And you have to remember that this is not forever. So, but you do need to learn your business and earn your stripes. And, you know, don't go into a new role or a new company expecting to you know be number one and to to not have to to put in your hours that's just that's just the lay of the land go in eyes wide open keep your head down work hard and you know that will pay back in spades for your career forever quite frankly i look at my time at goldman and goldman is known for smart people hard workers and you know great success and my time there i learned a ton i had great relation you know gained great relationships and lasting friendships but i worked a lot and i think i worked more than i ever thought i was going to work however that experience has paid back in spades and continues to pay off looking back you know when i was in it i was like oh my god this like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, but I did. And I'm really glad I wouldn't have changed that experience for the world. Yeah, we just had our internship class leave. And that was one of the parting pieces of advice I gave them is there's no free rides. At some point in your career, you are going to have to work harder than you ever thought you could work. So do it early. Don't try to find a cushy job right out of school. There's no trade-off for hard work, especially in our industry. Like you said, you have to earn your stripes and you have to know your stuff and you don't learn your stuff overnight. So just lean in. I think it's always important. And I love when other other women mention it because I do think there's a lot out there right now about 
work-life balance and having more comfortable work environments. And yes, there's places for those conversations, but I do think the honesty that comes from saying you're going to have to work really hard to get where you want to go is pretty invaluable advice. So I, I love that you mentioned that and you know, I'll just kind of double tap on, it's going to be really hard at some point. So you might as well do it now, work hard, learn your stuff, and then move on. And one day you'll be in a position and look back, like you said, how did I ever do that? How did I ever learn this? How did I ever get here? But time passes, so you will. Yeah. And I love that. And, and to that point, you know, I'm also a, a huge believer that change can only be effectuated from within, you know, so kind of looking at the roadblocks or resistance that, you know, women still have in our industry, although it has evolved and um, bettered by leaps and bounds, there's still room to grow. And I think the best example of effectuating change from within is around the NASDAQ's new policy with, you know, that Adina Friedman implemented around having, it's nearly 3,000 listed companies to have at least one female board member, along with at least one person that is racially diverse. Maybe she would have been able to, to make that change, but it would have been significantly more difficult if she hadn't kind of done the work, rose through the ranks in a relatively you know, male-dominated world, and used her clout to force this, what I think we all can agree is kind of a common sense change you know, be the change that you want to see, but be that change from within. That's the best way to do it. Yep. And that kind of makes me think I am going to ask you one final question, which we didn't prep for. I'm going to put you on the spot is as a female that's in a, you know, a more senior role within the industry, what advice would you have for other senior women? Because I think that's something that we're always looking for is, you know, how can we do better in terms of shepherding that newer generation of women coming behind us? I try to do that work through, through the Women of Leadership Committee. I think that rising tides lift all ships. And so, you know, being a big part of the WOL to, to help to facilitate women moving up in their career is, is one way in which I try to do that I also am very open to having blunt conversations with women, either trying to break in to finance, M&A, PE, whatever it might be, or to move up in their careers. I love having those conversations. I love being a mentor in that way as well. And then, you know, just from a senior leadership perspective, women supporting other women is, is really key and core. And I think Everybody, not just women, but everybody should have their personal board of advisors, if you will. And if you can start to craft yours early, then that'll be even more important because that personal board of advisors, not only they're a sounding board, but they're also internal and external advocates for you and your career progression. And so that's all to say that it needs to be both a push and a pull through the pipeline. So you need to push yourself through that pipe. And I think a personal board of advisors and building advocacy from within and from the outside is, is very important. But then also pulling through the pipe as a senior woman trying to lift other women up as well is incredibly crucial. Yep, absolutely. Well, Megan, thank you so much for your time today. 
I appreciate all of these thoughts and insights and look forward to seeing you in person soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you.